Our scripture this morning is found in Luke 12, verses 22 to 34. It's found on page 1618 in your pew Bibles. Luke 12, 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to this, his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thank you, Judy. And I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to that passage, and there's also an outline you can follow uh, this in your bulletin. But before we begin, let's just have a time of, of silent prayer. Let's pray. Amen. Well, Mary Decker was a famous uh, runner back in the 1980s, late 1970s. She uh, uh, ran multiple races. She was a distance runner. And she um, had six world records that at one time uh, she held in the mile, and then all, all the way up to 10,000 meters. 1984, she won various awards. She was the top amateur athlete in the United States. That was 1982. She was Sports Person of the Year in sports, by Sports Illustrated magazine. Um, and won other awards. But Mary Decker is often remembered most for the 1984 Olympics. In those Olympics, she was running the 3,000 meters, and everybody expected her to win the gold medal. But in the last lap of the race, a British runner um, and her got tangled up, and Mary Decker tripped. 
She fell off the track into the infield and was injured and did not finish the race. She got tripped up, and she was not the first runner for that to ever happen, but it was a big deal at the time. Now, I share that story because Jesus, in Luke 12, is talking to us about things that can trip us up in life. Things that can trip us up and take us out of the race in the spiritual life. We see that he talked and warned us about hypocrisy. He warned uh, last time about greed and covetousness and the dangers of those things. And Jesus, particularly in the last, um, in the last story, exposes covetousness in the human heart. He, remember he told a parable of the rich fool who, who selfishly hoards all his profits but then is called into an account for his selfishness. Coveting is a pervasive desire for the things of this world, and it leads to idolatry. That is why it's so important. It is idolatry. To covet is, covet is to desire the values of the world instead of or in place of our Creator. It's a root sin that leads to other sins. If I really want something bad enough and I can't get it, then I'll cheat and I'll lie and I'll steal and even kill for it. Covetousness, of course, is more than just a desire for money and possessions. It can involve anything that is not ours, that we don't have. Position, a person, power, prestige, knowledge. And what it comes down to is, do I love and trust God, the true creator and giver of life, or do I love the gifts, all the stuff? And this makes it an issue of the heart. Now what Jesus does in our passage today is arm us to battle the temptation to covet. It's really an extension of what we talked about last week. He wants us to avoid getting tripped up and disqualified in the race that is set before us. And so while last time he identified coveting, today he tells us how to deal with it. And what we see here is that a source of coveting is an inordinate, an inordinate desire that what is behind it is fear. The source of coveting is fear. When we covet, we are afraid we will not get what we want. Or we may be afraid that if we get it, we'll lose it. Or we may fear that we'll get something instead that we don't want. Our fears and insecurities fuel and feed our desires. And Jesus here wants to equip us with weapons to fight that source, that fight those fears, to fight those worries. He starts out by giving us some arguments by which to combat uh, those desires and to renew our minds. And secondly, he directs our hearts to where our priorities are meant to be, what we're created for. 
So Jesus begins in verse 22 telling his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or about your body or what you're going to wear. Life is more than food and body is more than clothes. So after telling them not to worry, he then goes on and gives four reasons why they shouldn't. He tells them to consider the ravens, those birds out there. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barns, and yet God feeds them. Ravens, to the Jewish people, are unclean animals. They weren't to have anything to do with them. They have no value. And yet, Jesus says, God in his providence takes care of them. He feeds them. So Jesus reasons, how much more valuable are you than birds? In other words, if God provides for the birds, he's going to provide for you. Now, of course, this argument depends on our believing that God will, will provide. Does he really providentially take care of us? You know, we are made in his image. We are made in the likeness of our creator. And, and that makes us far more valuable than birds. We are valued. We are important to God. I've said this before, but the value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. And our Creator became one of us in Christ. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And He suffered in order to redeem us and buy us back. That's how much valuable, how much value we are to God, how much worth we are to Him. That is what He was willing to pay for us. Then Jesus gives another argument. Worry doesn't work. Worry's a waste of time, it's a waste of energy. It doesn't change anything. Verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Worry is ineffective. When we, when we face our limitations in life, when we face things that we cannot change, things we can't uh, control, what we just kind of automatically do is revert to worry. We go into this anxiety mode. But our worry only makes it worse. It wears on our bodies. It, it wastes our energy. It has negative effects in, on our relationships. So Jesus goes into the, the third argument that addresses worry in verse 27. Consider how the lilies grow, the flowers of the field. They, they do not labor or spin. Yet, I tell you, not even Solomon, King Solomon, the wealthiest man in the world in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
When we are in need, Jesus points us to the God who has no limitations. And not only that, but with this illustration of the lilies, he is describing God as lavish. You see, everything that God creates is not functional. Not everything God creates has a functional purpose. In other words, God creates beauty simply for the sake of beauty. And if he does that, how much more will he supply the things that we need? That's the reasoning. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel or I think of God as being stingy. You know, he'll dole out a little bit here and dole out a little bit there. But Jesus says, hey, if he clothes the fields of grass with beauty, how much more will he take care of you? And then he adds that little phrase, oh, you of little faith. Now, obviously, he's addressing there the challenge to believe, to trust, to put our confidence in our Creator. And that's, of course, the last argument in verses 29 through 30. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. And your Father knows that you need them. Jesus describes God as our Father. That's very significant. He describes Him as a good Father. Not just a holy, sovereign God who sits aloft from us. But a Father who knows our needs and sees our needs. A normal, healthy parent wants what's best for their children. You know, I, and I kind of feel apologetic when I use this as an illustration, but Sue and I are so enjoying watching our oldest son be a father. And those of you who are grandparents, you understand what I mean. We watch him and Ellen love little Truman, attend to him, provide for his needs. And it's just a whole different side of seeing your child as a parent. And of course, Sue and I are having a crisis as grandparents, being so far away, because we want to do the same thing. We want to pour into this little boy's life. Take that and compare it. Compare that human love to the love of God as a father. Our father, who knows what we need, who wants to fulfill our needs. Jesus is challenging us to renew our minds with these truths, to believe God as a father, who loves us, who cares about us, who wants the best for us, who will provide for us even more than an earthly parent. Jesus just piles up reasons and arguments and doctrines here for us to fight coveting, to have confidence and faith, to keep ourselves focused in the race. Four reasons that really come down to one thing. Trust. Faith. Not just faith in faith, but faith in God. But there's more. There's a shift in verses 31 through 34. And this is what I would call the counter strike to coveting. 
but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Instead of worrying, instead of being preoccupied with what we are to eat and drink and all, all the other values in this world, focus, seek after the kingdom of God. For Jesus said, your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Seek after. Make your treasure. Make your highest priority the kingdom of God. When you look at the teachings of Jesus in all four Gospels, the kingdom of God is the main theme of His message. It's the main theme of His purpose. His mission. What is it? What is this kingdom of God? I like to think of it in terms of an invasion. The earth is occupied by the enemy. And Jesus, he's come himself prior to that. He, he came and called Abraham and he brought the law and he called out the Hebrew people and brought prophets and the message and then from that brought a Savior. And when Jesus calls people to repent and believe and when he performs miracles and and when he goes to the cross to pay for our guilt and he rises from the dead, all of this is invading Satan's territory. And he's reclaiming people back from sin, back from the world, back from the evil one and reclaiming it for God. It's bringing his rule and authority back to where it has been lost. In the broadest sense, God's kingdom is his eternal and universal rule. And that's never, that never goes away. But in the narrow sense, his kingdom is an invasion into a world of sin and rebellion and idolatry with salvation. The kingdom is one of liberating humans from the bondage of the evil one, from the bondage of our sin and the curse that came with the fall and all the lies that that surround us in this world. It's a kingdom that comes to pardon us rebels who stole from God what originally it was intended to be. It's a kingdom of new life where We die and are raised with Christ and are given new beginnings. The kingdom of God is Jesus coming to create a new humanity out of the ashes of the fallen one. All of it for the glory of God's praise. It's a new humanity that begins to infiltrate into cultures and nations as salt and light, salt that slows corruption and light that breaks through darkness. I like to think of it as comparing it to when the Allies invaded the beaches of Normandy and France in World War II and slowly progressed across Western Europe, reclaiming what the enemy had taken. Or in the 1990s, when we went into Kuwait and liberated it from Iraq. 
This is, a, this is what we get to be part of. And seeking the kingdom of God is the, is the counter strike, the offensive strike to coveting because anything less than God's kingdom will not bring us fulfillment. Jesus said in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief can come near and no moth can destroy. Friends, here's the deal with coveting. When we make our treasure something of this temporary life, we are settling for too little. When we covet, we are settling for a superficial substitute that is so much less than what God wants for us. Now, if I can turn my page, I will also tell you that it's that when we covet, when we say we want more property, God is saying, I want to give you the kingdom. And when we covet and want a smarter husband or a better looking wife or more talented children, God says, hey, I, I want to give you something more. I want to give you the kingdom. He wants to give us far more than the things we set our hearts on. Jesus is saying here, make sure you want what God made you for, not something less. Worrying about foods and, and food and clothes is not wanting enough because it will not satisfy you. It's temporary. The kingdom is what will bring fulfillment. The kingdom is what is forever. Colossians 3.1 Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above. The things that transcend us. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then Jesus concludes with again a promise, promise of provision. Verse 31b, he says, And these things, after you seek the kingdom, these things will be given to you as well. When we seek first the kingdom, the promises, the other needs will be met. This is a promise for kingdom seekers. God will supply. What does Paul say in Philippians 4.19? Let's read it together. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. What does Paul say in Romans 8.32? Let's say that together. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? These are promises. And Jesus says to us, believe it. Trust the promise. But then he gets kind of radical. He says the way to exercise your faith is to sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide for yourselves 
what will not wear out. Build a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's the last thing, the last weapon in terms of defeating coveting. Be generous. Be generous. Be generous with what you have. To defeat coveting, we want to really want God's kingdom. We want to believe His promise of provision and we'll prove our faith by giving away, by sharing with others in need. When we do that, we're reminded that God has provided in a generous way already because we have enough to give away. And it reminds us that the stuff we're giving away is not where our joy is. It's not the source from which our happiness comes. He calls us to be generous with what we already have. That is why generosity is not an option in the Christian life. We cannot defeat covetousness if we're not generous. Because if we're not generous, we're still coveting. Somehow, somewhere, we're still coveting. And what we covet reveals our true treasure. When I'm generous, I'm investing in my treasure, the kingdom of God. So friends, as we come to the end here, we see that coveting is a gospel issue. At the heart of coveting is idolatry. Elevating something or someone into a higher priority and a higher place and a higher desire than for our Maker and Savior. Coveting comes down to the issue of what you and I desire most. And this is exactly the struggle that Adam and Eve had in the garden when tempted by Satan with the fruit of the tree of the good good and evil. What do I want more, God or this piece of fruit? And Eve chose the fruit, and so did Adam. And that's what happens for us every time we covet. Only the good news, only the gospel of Jesus Christ working deeply within our hearts can break the power of sin and can set us free to, from that piece of fruit to be able to worship the living God. We seek the kingdom by caring more about our Creator than anything else in the world. To care more for your own soul and the soul of others than you care about the countless treasures of this life to long to see the gospel advanced in your heart and the hearts of others and to see God's glory displayed in the world. Only the gospel of Jesus through the Holy Spirit can make these things happen in us. So friends, do not let coveting trip you up. Do not let coveting take you out of the race that is set before us, the journey that we're traveling towards the ultimate expression of the kingdom. Our lives follow our treasure. Where is your treasure? Let's pray together.
Father God, we thank you above all things for coming to us in Jesus Christ to redeem us, to buy us back from sin and Satan and the world, and to reconcile us to you, and then to become our leader, to become the one who will transform us, and to live your life in and through us. And as Jesus has taught us today, we pray for uh, the use of these strategies, these promises, these arguments to uh, counteract the temptation to covet, to commit um, idolatry with the things of this world. And we pray that we would have the faith and the confidence to trust you to provide for our needs And we pray for your work in our hearts that we would uh, make you first and make your kingdom our priority and to be part of this eternal, um, awesome event that has been unfolding for thousands of years in our world. Thank you that we can be part of that and equip us for it. So help us keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we may complete the journey. In his name we pray. Amen.